The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. And then they're frustrated by it. And the number one go-to is it's racism. And that's why I'm not paid. And while that, you know, I'm not here to discount that that may be going on for some guys or a lot of guys. There's actually a lot they can do they don't even know about in order to increase their salary and seniority and satisfaction. Why did I become an executive coach? I saw lots of great people fail to get ahead at work, while their much less talented peers blew right past them. That made me furious, but also curious. What were great people getting wrong? It came down to helping them re-examine what drove success, and then helping them make critical shifts one hard truth at a time. Feel like you're doing everything you were told, but you're not moving ahead at work, nor having the impact you seek? Then welcome to 97% Effective with Michael Winderoth, where we skip feel-good, happy talk and engage experts in pointed conversations about what it really takes to move the needle at work and your career. So if you feel stalled or frustrated or seek that extra edge as you move to the next level, then look no further. This is the Hard Truths Playbook you never got. Hi, I'm Michael Winderoth. And you're listening to 97% Effective. We've just witnessed the first Super Bowl in history to have two black men as starting quarterbacks. But corporate America presents a starkly contrasting reality. Black men remain underrepresented at the highest levels and undercompensated. Enter today's guest, Jewel Edward Love Jr., who is on a mission to change that. Jewel is the founder of Black Executive Men, whose mission is to transform the lives of Black men across corporate America. He and his team help their clients achieve, in Jewel's words, the 3S trinity, that's salary, seniority, and satisfaction, which they do through delivering high-impact, one-on-one, and group executive coaching, and a powerful mentor network, which we're going to talk about. What's different about the situation Black men face? What's unique about what Jewel and his team do? If you're a black man, Jewel gets it and is here to help you crack the code. And if you're not a black man, listen in. Jewel has strategies that can also work for you and insights that will provide you different perspectives on the strengths and challenges your coworkers may face. Jewel Edward Love Jr. has helped more than 500 black men at leading companies obtain mid-level and senior leadership roles. A therapist turned executive coach and now CEO, Jewel has provided training at leading companies including Microsoft, PayPal, Capital One, Medtronic, PG&E, and many more. Jewel, thank you for making time to join me today. Welcome to 97% Effective. Michael, glad to be here. Awesome. Jewel, you grew up in Oakland and As I mentioned in the introduction, you're a licensed therapist who shifted into executive coaching. What was the path 
that led you to found Black Executive Men? Absolutely. So I'm biracial and my father is a tall, dark-skinned black man born in Missouri and raised in Chicago and met my white Scottish-Canadian mother in the San Francisco Bay Area. So even as a kid, my father is an entrepreneur. I was by his side and uh, watching him close different deals. So while a lot of kids were with their fathers and their parents at the baseball game or the football game, eating hot dogs and eating popcorn, etc. I was walking through empty Oakland warehouses with my father, seeing if it would be the right facility for his next business operation. So even as a youngster, he was talking to me about real adult business situations. We're talking seven, eight, nine, ten years old. And for me, that really ingrained a way of moving and thinking and speaking with older black businessmen about their business decisions. So learning about marketing and accounting and, and people operations, young is, it's just a part of my blood. And I noticed that uh, there was a real opportunity to be of service to this specific demographic. Around 28, 29 years old, I went back to uh, school and got my master's in clinical psychology and started off as a psychotherapist working with black men. However, there was simply more opportunity and more of a hunger for coaching to help them with the three S's, increase their seniority, salary, job satisfaction, and they were having roadblocks. Some of them for racial reasons, some of them just for skill set, mindset reasons, and my business identified that, honed in on it, and then really began what to call ourselves what's now today called Black Executive men, which is the goal for many of our clients, and they feel safe talking with me and my staff about their professional next step. So a bit of a, some background of how it all came to be. When I was looking at your website, and, and we've known each other and talked about this, you know, there are lots of ways that you ascend in organizations that, that we both know and focus on, building a powerful network, making sure you have visibility and brand, and these would be generally common across kind of all groups. So, you know, as you work with black executive men and those who aspire to rise, what, what would you point to as some of the perhaps main differences or the, or the key things that, that black men experience in, in corporate America? Yeah, so the number one is perception. There is a perception of black men being aggressive, difficult to work with, lone wolf, things of that nature. And a lot of it comes from, I'd say, fear of working with black men. This taps into the history of, of slavery and a racialized caste system in the United States. You know, thank God, fortunately, moved away from that. However, there is a legacy that still lives on. So that's one of the pieces of the puzzle is a perception of black men being aggressive or unapproachable. And even when they are just attempting to be or being assertive or passionate, and it can be uh, interpreted in that way. And because this dynamic is at play, our clients often go to two different extremes. Number one is isolating and trying to do things on their own. And as you know, that's not going to work in corporate America. It's about alliances, networking, doors getting open for you because people like you in addition to viewing you as being competent at what you do. And then on the other side of the spectrum, it's actually trying to overcompensate mm. 
for uh, on niceness and kindness, smiling things of that nature beyond what most people may do. Now, I get it. It's important to be nice and kind and smile in many corporations, uh, especially in California, where a lot of our clients are from. There's going to be cultural and regional differences. However, they trade in their assertiveness for that kindness in order to do what? Not appear threatening and not have that stigma put on them that they know it's waiting right around the corner. That's a possibility. And what that does is that stalls their career because then they're not seen as having gravitas, uh, executive presence. They're nice, but can we put them in a PL role? Can we really let them sit in the C-suite? Can they really make those tough decisions? And it becomes questionable. And in these two extremes, one, the first one in that siloed place, well, being seen as not a team player, it's typically not a good thing in an organization. And the second thing is they then miss out on conversations and information that are going to develop their mindset and skill set to move to the next level. So either one of those extremes, they find their career stalled out and much of it is based on this perception uh, about them. So our guys are having to walk a fine line in because, Michael, as it's the current case, corporate America, it's primarily white as far as its racial demographic. They can't talk openly about this unique racial cultural concern because their colleagues are not having that same experience. Can they relate? It's a possibility, you know, if they've uh, learned or experienced certain things from a racial lens. Can they be empathetic? Absolutely, 100%. But can they really know the, the intricacies of being a black man? And this would include, for many, monitoring their voice, monitoring their body posture, monitoring their hairstyle, dress, clothing, all to try and fit in that middle lane of not being offensive or are perceived as aggressive. Most are not going to be that fully aware of that from that racialized lens. And so it's hard for them to get support from their mentors, from their executive sponsor, from their colleagues, if they don't have that insight. And that's another thing that leads them to essentially isolate and go into more of a lone wolf, almost forced lone wolf place within the business which ultimately limits them. And that's where that's where we come in. Yeah, so it's that it's that navigating the middle ground. And so talk about, you know, the the unique added value that a that a black and we're talking black male coach and your whole team, which is very senior, brings into that coaching equation. Yeah, so I think number 1 is going to be cultural familiarity. I like to give this example when I was looking for work, just getting out of college and went to a restaurant. It was a black owned restaurant. And I walked in with a, a full on suit. I mean, this is just a regular restaurant. So way overdressed. I didn't know I'm coming out of UC Santa Barbara. It was sandals and cargo shorts every day. I was thinking, you know, you just have to do the professional thing. So I'm walking in and they're serving burgers and fries and stuff. But there I am ready for ready for anything. And it's a black man who owns the restaurant. And immediately there was this cultural rapport. So there's literally certain language, uh, certain words that we'll use. There's certain historical references. And all of this is tied into the just small parts of the conversation 
that say, you know, it's safe here, it's comfortable here. We have a bond. We've never met before in our life, but instantly we have positive rapport. And that day he says, he says, yeah, let's go ahead and get you started. And it wasn't because of my skill set. I had never been a waiter before in my life. This is first time. It was because he felt a level of comfort with me and he saw something in me. And in the corporate space, this is often how it goes as well. Uh, however, there's a level of comfort and people hire based on that rapport. And so for many black men, they have to what's called code switch, but they have to adjust and switch to fit into at times the culture of the organization that's not African-American. I think we can agree on that for the most corporations. We don't find that to be something, you know, grand conspiracy or something wrong or we need to be revolutionary and overthrow the system. There's a lot of people that are doing that and into that and invested in that. And a lot of people that are not, we don't have a dog in that race per se. What we're doing is creating a safe place and environment for our guys to come in and immediately have that cultural connection rapport so they feel safe to learn the skill set and establish the network that they need to advance. So that's really the unique angle that we provide is that cultural understanding. It's an advanced cultural understanding of where our clients are in order to build a bridge, have them feel safe, and then get the skill sets and mindsets that they need to advance. And because we provide this environment, they feel comfortable to talk about race. And they are thinking about race. So if you're not black in the audience and you're wondering, the answer is yes. To the degree or how they view it impacting their career completely varies. Huge spectrum there. But they are absolutely aware that they are a black man in a predominantly non-black environment. And that means something. Not sure exactly what, but there is an impact on their career. So that's the unique opportunity we provide our clients is providing that safety for them to open up, talk about that, and then see from that place, how can we optimize their strategy for success? Yeah. This is a critical part, I think, of all coaching is that fit that you get the chemistry with an individual because you are mm -hmm. you know, opening up and talking through issues. And so someone who gets it, gets it faster, particularly when there's a lot of money on the line that you're investing is, is critically important. And I, I, I mean, I do want to ask you, you know, is, as, cause I noticed on the website, which I thought, you know, is very much the kind of language that your customers use and why they come to you and why they kind of return yeah. and recommend you guys so highly you know, that white therapists and coaches, right, sometimes don't get it. And, and I mean, we know the kind of blatantly racist things that people can say, but what's like an example of, you know, subtle things that a, that a white coach or a therapist might kind of bring up, or I know these might come into microaggressions, but like, what, what are examples of that? Because I, I would imagine many people out there unknowingly do it, right, uh, in, in different environments. Yeah, yeah. So I think something that might come to mind is, you know, let's say you have a black man, a colleague or a subordinate on your staff team, etc. And saying things like, you know, either, you know, you're highly qualified, or you're brilliant, or you can do this. Race doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter. It's not, it shouldn't stop you. 
Now, while that may be the case that it doesn't stop that man or it won't be a block for that man, they're thinking about it and they're questioning it. So that's something to say that could the attempt is to be and possibly the effect is to be encouraging and it may land exactly that way. But it might also minimize their experience as well and give them the impression that they cannot open up and share any concerns about race should they come up. So that's one an example of the race doesn't matter, it shouldn't matter, it's not important piece of the puzzle that you just want to be careful about that. Even if the intention is good, it could land in a minimizing way. Yeah, it's a, I think it's a great example. And going back to a point that you brought up in terms of why you guys focused on this very important niche, and you declare very much on the website, right? You understand the playing field is not level, right? There mm-hmm. is systemic racism that exists, that is residue that continues to, to pervade society. And people are tackling this from, from many different angles, right? There is the training programs, DEI in, in companies, those who are seeking to change laws or company policy, or those who mm-hmm. say, hey, we're going to work outside the system, sure. you know, start our own companies and so forth. But again, yours is to do that individual coaching with the executives. And anything yeah. you want to add to that in terms of how you've kind of chosen where you spend your energy and that approach with coaching? Yeah, well, I would say it gets into, and yeah, you're right. There's a lot of people tackling this from a lot of different angles. And what we realized is that there's actually a lot that can be done. Let's just talk openly here. There's a lot of skill sets that people, if they learn, this is all people, if they learn, they could, they can advance. Uh, an example I like to give is about a diamond. If you think about a diamond in the earth, it's you know worth very little because people, can, they don't have access to it. They can't use it. A diamond, that same one in a miner's hands that has unearthed it, it's going to have more value, but primarily the value is what they can sell it to for, let's just say a wholesaler or even directly to a retailer. And then that same diamond, polished up, you know, encased in gold ring, positioned at Tiffany's, Rodeo Drive, in the window. We're easily talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. Same diamond, different level of positioning, different level of refinement. And that's the same thing. You know, our guys are aware that if they go to Harvard and get their MBA, sure, it's going to open up doors for them. Uh, compensation package, increase, etc. However, the core thing that we help them understand is that corporations, they need problems solved. And that if our clients can, uh, big problems solved, that are costing them a lot, or there's opportunity for them to gain millions, if not billions. And if somebody can present them with a solution that can help them do that in an efficient way, uh, a clear way for a reasonable price, They're definitely going to think about it, if not do it. So what we do is we position our clients, uh, what we call a specialist framework, the other two being a corporate beggar and a commodity hire. So I'll just cover those uh, briefly, and that'll give you a real clear picture of how we position our guys to essentially earn more money, increase their seniority and job satisfaction, even with or without racism taking place in corporate America. So the first thing as far as a corporate beggar, these are folks, by the way, any any background gender that use phrases like, I'll take what they can give me, 
I'm just looking for a job. They'll do pretty, you know, pretty much anything for a corporation, almost any pay. That's the worst position to be in when looking for a raise, promotion, or a new job. The next level up is what we call a commodity hire. So if you think about dentists at Western Dental or barbers at Supercuts, things like this, you know, you can almost expect there to be new people every time you come back. And if you swap them in and out, they really have no impact to the business and to the bottom line. These folks are usually welcomed into a a business with not a lot of fanfare, you know, kind of sent to their desk, expected to do a good job and appreciated for when they do. But there's nothing so extra special about them. And then you have the best positioning with a specialist. They know their zone of genius. They know exactly what they do better than anyone else in the world, literally, not figuratively. They know their professional mission. They know their impact statement. They know how their actions impact the stock price, the bottom line, and the market share. And they can tell these stories with what we call left brain, right brain thinking. That means gripping stories emotionally, and they can ground it with the numbers and the data. All of this positions them as a specialist and worth more to an organization. And whether there's racism or not, it has a positive impact on their career and their outcomes, both when they're networking and hobnobbing for new roles, when they're interviewing, or when they're looking for a promotion in their current organization. So that's the internal work we do. And we wrap it in a cultural context. So it's it's kind of like when you're uh, maybe, uh, uh, with kids and for those who have kids, you want to give them some medicine, but you wrap it in peanut butter so it, you know, it still tastes good going down. That's the cultural context that allows us to teach these skills very quickly. So because you asked the question about you know, the differences and the uniqueness and our approach, and, and, and I hope that helps to clarify a bit more how we can get results, even though there are these systemic issues taking place. Yeah, so it sounds like a deep focus there on, hey, understand the context. This is what it looks like. Get a lot of clarity on where you add value and that ability to articulate. Is this what when you're saying kind of the zone of genius? I love that expression that you've got on your site, the ability to kind of really hone in and let people know, you know, where you're adding value. That's exactly it. And of course, you know, didn't come up with it, but it, it's brilliant and it, and it makes sense and it resonates with our audience. And yeah, so that's specifically around what they do and how they can solve problems for an organization and really that they're a specialist. So they might say, well, I work in the hospitality industry for companies that are doing, let's say, 20 to $50 million in revenue annually. I help specifically reduce turnover and increase retention for you know employees that are there for the first five years, something like that. And the, this is the amount that we will save or likely will save. And it's based on these previous experiences that I've had at different organizations. And they can tell testimonials about specific people and specific outcomes. The other piece around the zone of genius is it's really important for folks to share what their proven system is, what their proven method is. And this is something that I took from more of the entrepreneurial world where they say, you know, I have my, it's almost gimmicky, like my five-step mastery system program modifier transformational, et cetera, system. But it actually holds a lot of value for W-2 employees as well to be able to clearly state 
networking, hobnobbing, interviews, and, and conversations for promotions, exactly what they're doing in a few different steps and the value and impact of each step. So it's crystal clear that if they're being brought into a new role, they're not just freestyling it. It's crystal clear what they're doing and what the person that's essentially paying for is going to get. And that level of specificity adds to, yeah, this person is clearly an expert at what they're doing. I love that. The, you know, winging it is totally overrated. So being able to articulate, like you said, a showing kind of a proven system of what you do and where you add value. So clearly the things that you bring that are very unique, that add value, that help many of your coaches, you know, rise up the ranks is valuable and drives them. And I guess, you know, another way of asking this though, when you, you get a lot of clients in, is there a common big mistake that most of them make? Or if there's someone out there who's saying, well, you know, I kind of get the stuff that Jewel says and I'm going to go try it on my own. Is there, is there like a big mistake that a lot of them have as they navigate their career? Sure. So I'd say shooting too low. Many guys are shooting for 150K, 200K, in some cases 400K uh, roles, and they don't know that they can be earning 700K or more for their roles. And the executive, executives that I'm speaking with, they don't know many times. It's, uh, they're not having these conversations necessarily around what other people are getting paid. They may be first generation a uh, corporate American worker. So they don't know really what's available to them. And they just kind of, I think, shoot a little bit lower or many times tremendously a lot lower uh, than what they can get. And then that's often what they get. And then they're frustrated by it. And the number one go-to is it's racism. And that's why I'm not paid. And while that, you know, I'm not here to discount that that may be going on for uh, some guys or a lot of guys, there's actually a lot they can do they don't even know about in order to increase their salary and seniority and satisfaction. And many times it's because because they don't have that awareness, they're underselling themselves and they're, they're shooting lower than they than they could. I think that's probably the biggest mistake I see. Guys that find out how much they can get, those guys are usually the ones that say, I'm ready for the skill set to go and get it. As far as doing it on their own, um, I don't advise that. And that's not a pitch to work with me, but to work with someone, an expert that can help you to see your blind spots. However, there are guys that just aren't aware of the value of having someone that can point out their blind spots, how much money, how much grief, how much time that can save them. And I also tell my guys, this is not Disneyland. You're not promised this, uh, this great experience in your corporate career. It can suck for you. You can go down in flames. You can burn out. You can be positioned as this angry black man. Yeah, that can absolutely, it happens to people every day. It can happen to you as well. So we don't support the lone wolf approach over here. And I know you talked about the network and we can get into that at some point as well. Uh, but coming into community, going away from the, I'll do it, you know, I'll mow my own lawn. I'll cut my own hair. I'll do my own taxes. Uh, it gets to a point where you need to assemble a team to help you get to the next level. 
So that's why we recommend, whether it's working with us or another coach, to get these skills and get you to somewhere you've never been, you literally don't know what you don't know. And you need someone that knows to help you open that door and just let you in. And it's the easiest way to do it. You've been listening to 97% Effective with your host, executive coach, Michael Winderoff. If this interview is making you think, make sure to share it with a friend. Now, back to our interview. Yeah, I like to say that failure is a great teacher. You just hope you don't have to kind of go through it, particularly when you're at that inflection point in your career. And so the benefit, yeah, of having someone else to point out those pieces is absolutely critical. And since you brought up the network, and and I mentioned this because I think it is a, a very powerful thing that you've integrated into what you guys do. Say more about this, right? You know, what you've assembled, yeah. how that that benefits <laughs> clients. So I, I, I love talking about the network because in the black community, especially college grads, there's a lot of guys that are in fraternities. There's the alphas and the kappas, there's the omegas, there's different guys. There's the boule, which is like this professional fraternity for black men. There's associations. And what those came from is black men were restricted due to segregation from joining white fraternities. We're talking early 1900s colleges and universities. So they started their own. And those still exist till this day. And they're different as far as the culture. And they literally have like these dances and chants. And they're super powerful and and culturally black as well. And it's a place of pride. And when you go back and look at the the slave experience, and it was mainly the black men who were viewed as the strongest or AKA or, or most rebellious, which that's a good, you know, be rebellious. If you're enslaved, find a way to get out of that somehow. Yeah. Go for that. Go for freedom. And yet these were the guys that were killed or castrated. So, you know, being a powerful black man, there's this history and psychological, I'd say weight of, If that's a way that you're going to operate as a black man, something negative could happen to you. So that's still like baked into the psyche. However, these fraternity and these associations are a very supportive place for black men to be assertive and go for their goals and be leaders in their family and fatherhood and husband, et cetera, et cetera, that are very much supported. So that's the benefit of these type of networks. It's very affirming. But let's get into what we have at Black Executive Men. We're not a fraternity at all. This is just to support our guys that in corporate America are typically the only black man in their level of seniority on their team, possibly their division in you know, small tech startups, the entire company. So it inherently can lead to this isolation only lone wolf positioning. So what we do is we pair up current clients, call it our buddy system, with mm-hmm. former or other current clients that can talk to them about certain industries or certain companies. Maybe they have connections with the hiring manager or recruit recruiter at that company. Five times more likely to get a job if you're referred internally than if you're doing cold applying, right? It's just the way it works in corporate America. It's networks. So we build that for them so they can have all these inroads at other companies, first and foremost. The second thing is having the network, excuse me, mentoring opportunities from black men that are at a senior level at, let's say, their company or another company 
They can talk to you about how can they climb the ladder. What are the things that they need to be aware of as a black man and how they move, say, don't say, position themselves, etc. that this man has learned by the time that he's got there and they can decrease that person's learning curve. So it brings them, even though it's not in their organization or in their fraternity, it brings them into the fold within corporate America, have all of these doors open for them to succeed. And that's the real benefit of having a network within corporate America. And this is the one that we've attached to our uh, particular business. So everybody that's a client, fairly similar experience when they you know, go through our coaching and when they hop on the phone, what can be different is if somebody's meeting somebody cold, especially amongst black men, they're not going to know what exa- where the standing is. What is the standard? How do how exactly do we communicate? What's the level of trust here? Can I trust you? Should I trust you? Will you stab me in, in the back for any number of reasons? And that can happen between people of any races or gender, just in general. But we eliminate all that. And because they come through our program, they're vetted. We don't have riffraff. We, those people are typically weeded out on the consultation call. So if they're in our community, it's going to be safe. It's going to be high quality. They're going to benefit from it. They're going to get value on some level. And they could turn into lifetime friendships and, 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 uh, and, and business relationships that support them and add value. So the network helps guys go from lone wolf to connect it. And as you know, Michael, having a network, you know, as somebody said, having a network can garner you merited and unmerited success. And when I heard that, that's true. And it's important to have networks for, you know, when you're knocking it out of the park and when times get tough to keep you winning. And that's just the reality uh, of the situation. So, that's what uh, some of the benefits of, of our network and the guys asked for it. You know, can you connect me or do you have a connect here? Do you know a recruiter at this company? So we're growing that network out. And now we even have recruiters that are reaching out and saying we have a diversity ep- uh, effort and initiative and we want to hire black men. Can you send us some? How much is it? And no, it's free. Our clients pay us. There's no fee attack. They love that. And then our guys have instant connections, warm handoffs to all of these companies to land roll. It's the best case scenario possible for our clients. Last thing I want to say, Michael, about that is it's not just connection to a recruiter or a hiring manager. It's a recruiter and a hiring manager that their company on their own, independent of us, has said, we want to diversify our mid-level and senior leadership. So they're welcoming of black men into, at the very least, the interview process. And our guys don't have to wonder, am I going into a situation where there could be racism at play? No longer an issue in those scenarios. So that's why it's truly the best case scenario for our guys trying to advance their career. Yeah. I mean, you brought together a powerful combination there of coaching, the benefit of peer coaching, and mentorship, Boom, put it all together. You're creating the network. And yeah. I mean, the research here is is incredibly clear about the benefits of, of networks. It is how the majority of jobs are found. Um, yes. Yeah. Tremendous impact on accelerating your career. The, the question I do want to ask, which is, 
you, you've created that powerful network. And, and, and as we stated, you know, individuals may be the only black man in their division or in a smaller company, their entire company. And we know also from the research that kind of an internal sponsor, which is typically someone who's higher up, is really vital. I mean, in the absence of, of, of having, and not to say black men are going to just promote other black men, but we know that, you know, individuals promote people who are like them. I mean, how do you help them through that? How do they go develop sponsors? Well, you know, what's some thoughts on that or, or when people kind of come across that? Because we see sponsorship help so much internally. Yeah, it does. And we recommend that our guys do that as well as get a sponsor, executive sponsor, have mentors throughout the company, no matter what their race or background is, it's going to be helpful, especially when there's a genuine, authentic connection. You know, the, the companies that do the thing of, okay, we're just going to match randomly you with you and you with you. Those usually don't work out many times. There's just no real connection. And these are real people. And usually that's the foundation is having some kind of authentic connection for why people want to help each other and for it to be sustained over time. But we do recommend that as uh, four parts of the career strategy for our guys. Number one, you got to do your job well. You got to do it extremely well. Like there, there's no substitute for that. That's got to be done. Second thing is professional development. So whether that's going to conferences, getting coaching, attending industry, you know, association events, developing yourself. That's number two that has to happen for you to stay current, relevant, and you know, ahead of the ball, essentially. Then the next piece comes with your sponsor, executive sponsor, mentors at the company, your direct manager, and keeping them updated for your manager, minimum weekly, for your mentors, minimum monthly, and for your sponsor, minimum quarterly on not just your questions, but the value that you're providing in the organization. The challenges that you've overcome, the ways that you've helped your team grow and how that impacts likely or probably other aspects of the organization. Why? Because you're building this story and narrative of adding value to the organization. You're also potentially teaching them things and informing them about things they're not even aware of. So adding value to their knowledge base in the same way. Why is this important? Well, because when it comes time to promotion, raise, things of this nature, new opportunities, they're going to be evaluating you if you're in the running at all. And they're going to be thinking, this person has provided a ton of value along the way versus if they don't hear from you and they don't know, many of our guys think just doing a good job. So the first step is sufficient. Well, that's table stakes. That's, you have to yeah. do that. But that doesn't showcase the value that you're providing to the company. We like to say, you know, you can say one plus one, but you have to tell people two. You have to say two. It equals two for them to truly know and for it to land. So that's a strategy that can help position them for more success as opposed to just doing that work and then showing up for conversations for advancement and raises and then saying, I haven't seen you in uh, about a year, uh, 90 days. I don't know what you've been doing. I think we're going to wait on that promotion when some of your colleagues may be doing that and you're wondering why they're getting promoted. And that may be a reason why. The executive sponsor piece or sponsor, even if they're not black, and we can talk about that 
there's a nuance piece, Michael, I think might surprise you. It surprises a lot of people about that in that kind of mm. connection in just a moment. Is that person is going to open, can, if you have good rapport, they know the value you provide, uh, open doors for you. And other conversations that you're not privy to, just do the level of seniority or, or what they're involved in uh, and what their interests are. They're going to be advocating for you. That's the best case scenario to help you really rise up that corporate ladder faster. It's not just about doing your job. It's about people letting you win. I want you to think about it as a club. It's a club. They're real people. They're going to work with who they know, like, and trust. So if your name is being spoken, oh, he's a great guy. He does this. He did this amazing thing. Wonderful insight. You wouldn't believe it. They're going to start thinking, oh, we're going to let him into our club. You got to look at it that way because on some level, that's kind of what's going on. So that's the value of having an executive sponsor or a sponsor. You absolutely need to have one to, I think, maximize the career success that you have at your organization. The interesting piece, Michael, about having black men in senior leadership roles, many people don't know this. These guys are under the microscope and they know it. So they know that they're under the microscope as well. And they also know that if they hire or uh, promote, excuse me, either, I guess, a black man, it could be looked at as favoritism or nepotism. They know that could be the case. So even if it's a panel or excuse me, you have a pool, candidates interviewing or promotion, you got an African-American guy or a woman Best for the role, best qualified, experience, et cetera, best ideas about how to implement whatever they're looking to do. They know, that black man knows, if he hires that other black person, that everybody else in that candidate pool may instantly think it was because they were black and it's a buddy system kind of nepotism kind of thing that's going on. They're fully aware of this. So that could lead some black men not to promote other black people because it could put their own standing and credibility in question. The other difficult or challenge around that is let's say that they hire or you know, uh, uh, promote, um, let's say, another black man, and that person doesn't do well in that role. That could impact uh, uh, their thinking around this, you know, this more senior black man, uh, uh, this leader's ability to uh, pick good candidates. And should they be hiring other black people going forward? It might leave an impression in their mind about black people doing the job well, not doing the job well. And that can impact from a racial standpoint on the senior leader. There's a lot of intricacies going on for black men in senior leadership that want to bring up or pull up or hire or promote other black people. It's not just a, we're all in. It's not like that. That's not what's going on because they know their position and how they're viewed could be tenuous from a racial standpoint. So those are some of the dynamics for why why black employees that are more entry-level or mid-level, they can have a difficult time connecting with black people in senior leadership that are there because those people are trying to keep their job. They're trying to keep the appearances up and they know the impact of it. I hate to say it, but associating with other black people could potentially 
be a liability because of the company that they're in. It's just a possibility. Not necessarily the case, but they're thinking of this and they're aware of it. And last piece just on that one is these are the things they don't feel comfortable talking about with white people generally. Now you got an example. They don't. They do not. They come to us to talk about those things oftentimes. Intricacies here that that most people are not aware of. Yeah. I'm fine of saying people above you cannot promote what they do not know. And Mm. your brand is what other people say when you are not in the room. And so having other people saying good things, carrying the message about you is is really fundamental. Jewel, the last question I want to ask before I go to a wrap up is coaching is exploding and, and coaches are coming from all different backgrounds. I'm really excited when I see more therapists moving into coaching. You know, from your psychotherapy background, and obviously with with black men as well, but what dimension does that add into your coaching? I'm just curious as a coach about that. Yeah, yeah. And these days I I do keep them separate. So, you know, if somebody comes in and they're, you know, clinically depressed, we refer them out to get the support they need because they might be suicidal. We don't provide that level of, of support and safety and welfare checks and stuff like that. However, the things that I'm able to bring in, I would say, is really understanding how I want to say the emotional life. And I get it for my coaches out there. I know you're talking about emotion as well. This is not unique to psychotherapy. And yet how, let's say, childhood traumas and teenage traumas carry over into their perception of self. And how they may get triggered on an emotional level, because that can show up in the workplace as well. Let's say that they might have been abandoned or abused or, you know, comments were said about them that, you know, made them sensitive or decreased their self-esteem. And they're wondering why they're not, you know, advancing in the workplace. There may be connections between how they view themselves, definitely on how they view themselves. And how they're relating to others and the amount of success that they're having in the world. And much of that, you know, from the therapy world, it's how people, you know, stages of development as a child, as a teenager. And that really being the core and the foundation of their identity today. So I still know, even though I don't go into the depths around that, that if they have had difficult experiences in childhood, which some people have not had, some people have had, some people have had a lot of. But those things can impact them and how they show up today. So I may ask some questions about that. And if it turns out that there's a lot there that they really need to unpack or they're deeply grieving with something, maybe they're going through a divorce or there's issues with their children or something like that. You know, we make sure they have the emotional supports that they need to show up whole and powerful and confident in their professional life. And I have a ton of awareness when something like that is going on and can help them to identify that that could be an outstanding obstacle for them and then support them to get that help. Yeah, we are creatures of the past. And so, you know, that added dimension that you bring and being able to, to tap into that, to read that, I think is incredibly valuable that more coaches need as, as well. Jewel, fantastic conversation. Some, some very quick last questions here. You, you mentioned sure. your, your dad and your upbringing, huge influence. Any other big influence on your career that's kind of formed your thinking? Yeah, so I would say my mom 
<laughs> for sure. <laughs> the other half of the equation, you know, my mom has just had has the ability to stick with things over time and really watch them unfold and develop. And the the importance of that and just keep a positive mindset. My mom is definitely a humanist and likes to see the best in people and, and, and has a curiosity about how to bring that out of people and what are the tools to do that. She's not a psychotherapist or anything like that. And she's been able to find different tools uh, from different communities and, and, and classes and books and things like that. And that made a huge impact on me that really tied in this humanist piece of the puzzle, but also just the sticking with it because Michael, as you know, you know, being an entrepreneur, there are highs and lows, and every day it's about learning something new and just staying the course. So, yeah, she's the other half of the equation. Huge influence on me, my career, my success. Any important final question that that I didn't ask that I should have that you want to address? No, nothing's really coming up. This is fantastic. Very thorough. I appreciate it. Brilliant discussion that's illuminated, I think, a lot of very interesting dimensions and is very important work. Thank you. Jewel, Black Executive Men, I will put things in the show notes, but what is the best way for people to reach you and find out about your work? Sure. Yeah, just heading over to our website, blackexecutivemen.com. So if you're interested in one-on-one coaching or bringing coaches on to work with Black men, it's your organization trainings we provide those too feel free to reach out book a consultation call and we can talk through your needs and see if we can help you meet them so it's simply blackexecutivemen.com it's spelled exactly how it sounds exactly how it sounds and it'll be in the show notes jewel thank you for making time amid your busy schedule totally appreciate it thank you thank you michael take care thanks for listening to 97 percent effective where we skip happy talk and help you break through and ascend one hard truth at a time. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, you can get free resources, including the first chapters of Michael's book, Get Promoted, on his website, www.changwinderoth.com. That's www.changwinderoth.com. W-E-N-D-E-R-O-T-H dot com.